welcome. We're really glad that you're here. I'm Jackie Simmons. I'm the host of the show, and we are very happy that you have joined us. You know, there are moments in time where you meet someone and you go, I've known you forever, even though you just met. And that was my experience with Margaret Evenow. We're going to be talking about a topic that's near and dear to my heart. We're going to be talking about food, but not the kind that you put in your mouth. So hang on. The ride gets more interesting from here. Margaret Evenow, will you join me in the studio? Aha. Hello. Hello. There you are. It's lovely to see you. Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, you're very, very welcome. So something that occurred to me, and, and I know we're going to get into this whole conversation about primary food, but one of the things that occurred to me is that I had something I wanted to ask you when we first met, and I never got around to it. Oh, cool. Well, ask away. <laughs> there we go. I figure if I ask this, it'll give you a great way to introduce yourself to everybody on the show. Tell us about this, about these. Oh, my feathers. You know, um, although my, my genetic testing does not say that I have Native American <laughs> blood or, or heritage, my mother told us a story when we were little that um, we had a relative that was way, 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 way back in the history that was Cherokee. And since that time, I think I was probably seven or eight when she told us that story. Um, I have had an affinity for everything uh, Native American. Um, if you look in the back just a little bit, you can see a, a horse mm -hmm. uh, sculpture. That is a horse hair sculpture from one of the tribes. We have a, a tribe that's very close. It lives with uh, the... the um, Reservation is actually within our little area, our, our metro area here in California. Oh. They used to, before coronavirus uh, took things away from us, um, they used to have a powwow every year. When my daughter was born, I would go and um, <laughs> the first time she was six months old and she was kicking her little feet to the <laughs> drums and Every year since I have attended, I buy, um, they're actually supposed to be hair clips, but I don't have a lot of hair to clip stuff into. So um, I asked them to put it on an ear cuff and I have been wearing them um, ever since. So that's the story behind those. <laughs> cool. What kind of feathers are they? Um, I believe these are pheasant feathers, the small pheasant feathers, but they've painted them. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's why I don't think the purple is is unnatural. Yeah, well, <laughs> or the polka dots. <laughs> well, I wasn't sure. It was like, that's a really cool bird. Okay. It could be a kookaburra. <laughs> so you have an affinity for for the, the Native American spiritual energy. Did you always have that? Yes, um, I did. Uh, I have always kind of resonated with that. I've done a lot of reading. Um I, I have fashioned my own sense of spirituality and it includes that as well as other things. Um, but yeah, I, I think they knew things that we didn't in modern era. Um, and now we're coming to know, I, I'm a, a quantum psychologist, which means I take psychology and all that it has to offer us 
And I combine that with uh, quantum physics and many of the things that Native American spirituality talks about that we're, we're really all connected, um, that we share energy, uh, there's spirit and everything, which could be considered frequency, right? Energetic frequency. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think science is actually bringing it to light and saying, hmm, I guess they did know something. <laughs> it's amazing how that happened. You know, I came through the Eastern healing arts trainings and they actually came up with now machines that can trace the energy pathways, what we know as meridians, and actually will indicate where there are the subas, the energetic points that they use in acupuncture. Yep. And it's like, yeah, okay. So we had to find a machine to, to, to light up when we've had people who literally light up when they, you know, they can yeah. see this without the machine. Yeah, I I remember um, when I was uh, doing some research on healing, um, there's a scientific uh, study that looked at our hands and that our hands actually emit photons. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's what's happening. So, you know, science is becoming the new spirituality, really, if you take a look at what it's saying. You know, it, it is. And, and there's a challenge there for me in a really big way because science has at times been not such a great um, spiritual experience or guide in the world. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of things are done in the name of science mm. that are the opposite of what I perceive as spiritual. Absolutely. And I agree with that. Of course, the same is true of religion. Things in history have been done in the name of religion that are the opposite of what I would now put under that label. I guess I'm going to be on this kick right now about labels limit us. Yeah, no matter what we're applying a label to, right. labels limit us. Yes, definitely. All right, um, let's bring back around. Oh, go ahead. I just was going to say we're bigger than any label. Yeah, and it's it's a funny thing. What struck me about your Native American story and your feathers is this concept of First Nation. You know, they were you know, just attached to the land. And that brings me back to the idea that we started with, which is primary. Yeah. So talk to us. I mean, I'm, I'm starting to get a little hungry already. So talk to us about this concept of food and primary food. So um, it actually comes out of some work by uh, Joshua Rosenthal. He has um, he has a training program, uh, the Integrated um, Institute for Integrated Nutrition. So sorry, (laughs) I couldn't get all my eyes in the right places. Um, And he talks about lots of stuff about actual food we put in our mouths. macronutrients, micronutrients, fats, uh, carbohydrates, vegetables, fruits, everything that we need, water, all of those are part of what we would consider. Yeah, I have mine here too, just in case I get, I I need some. Um, All of the things we need to nourish our bodies. But primary food is, and, and he considers all that nutrients for our bodies, secondary food. Oh. Yes, secondary. Primary are the things that feed our human spirit, that make living um, alive and energetic and and connected and and something we want, we desire to engage with. 
And a lot of uh, the research that he kind of rests that on is that there are a lot of studies that show that um, if we're connected to people, if we have work that's life-giving and makes us feel like we can create things or we're using our gifts in the world, if we have a reason to do this thing called life, we can, we can tolerate some of the, the chocolates and the sugars and a little bit more alcohol on the weekend than we should <laughs> because our body is already filled with energetic spirit and life. And that carries us through things. I know when we were first talking about me, me coming on and, you know, just the, the whole premise of what this show is about, preventing um, people from taking their own life, suicide. And, you, and teens especially, um, we know that we have an epidemic in that. Um, I have a clinical practice right now. I also am launching a coaching for wellness and, and health. Um, but my clinical practice, I, I work with a lot of teens and, and 19 and 20 year olds, which I, I still, because I'm getting so old, I consider them babies anyway. <laughs> they're still babies. Actually, I have 30 year olds and I'm like, oh, they're still babies because <laughs> I'm really, I'm way past it. <laughs> um, but we were, we were talking about that epidemic and, and, I think that's what I was bringing up to is that there's another epidemic. There's a famine actually in our, our society and our world. Um, this globe is filled with people that do not have a connection or a source of primary food. Something that makes life mean something to them. That's a wonderful definition. Primary food is something that makes life mean something to you. Yes, and it's unique for each person, right? I mean, there we're not we're similar. You know, I have a head, I have hands, you have hands. We're we're similar, but we're not the same. And we each have a unique thing that we want to express, or that is within us or is hidden within us. We might not even be aware of it. And that's actually what I see with many of my um, teens that I work with and the, the you know, 19, 20 year olds who I still consider babies. <laughs> um, they don't have something to plug into. They actually are looking around and saying, is this world even gonna last? But, you know, will I even make it to 60? Will this world be here? Um, those that do have something to plug into, they're, they're, it's hard for them to hold on to it and believe. To hold on to, yes, I can make a difference because there's all these messages swirling around us that, you know, um, we're doomed. I, I was just watching a, a documentary about, a, about two, three weeks ago about how we have 60 years, that's what they estimate, 60 years until the soil on planet Earth is depleted. Oh, wow. You know, there, there are so many different ways I could respond to that. It's not the first time there's been that prediction. Right, right. But, yeah. <laughs> so so I, take the, I take the timelines with a grain of salt, but, and the reality is that we don't know. Right. We don't yeah. know how long we have on the planet. We don't know how long the planet has. What we do know is that the focus on the fear is yeah. robbing us 
when you talk about a famine of primary food, I think you've hit upon what's what's taking away all of our food. Right. And right. it's the focus on the fear. Right. Now, the documentary started with that. It got my attention, actually. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let, let's hook you in. But it was beautiful because it went to uh, two or three different things that people are actually doing that could solve that problem. Mm -hmm. How we can replenish food, how we can grow food above the soil so we don't deplete it, how we can go to a more natural, organic way of farming, and how we might all farm some of our own food in our backyards. And so there was hope in this. Um, as some of it was fascinating because uh, there were there were people that were finding a way to make certain natural products that enhance the soil to an extreme degree. And I mean, the, the vegetables that they grew were like four or five times what they should be huge. They were beautiful. So there is hope, but we have to find it and we have to plug into it. And that's what primary food is about. It's about really finding a, a reason for being here. Um, and most of the, the youth that I work with, even the adults that I work with that are suicidal, mm. they don't have that. They don't, they don't believe there is something to plug into. They just see what they're told on the news or articles on, online, uh, different things that are up on social media and it's doom and gloom. So if someone doesn't have a concept that there's more to life than what they see on the news and social media, what's one thing that a family member could do to wake them up? Mm. Well, first of all, they have to be plugged in themselves, <laughs> right? That well, I mean, let's see, we're assuming they're plugged into some extent because they're aware that something's wrong with their family. Yeah. 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 So they would, they would need to model what that looks like. Right, what plugged into primary food looks like. So All right, um, let's go there. What does plugged into primary food look like? Well, let's take relationships. That's one area that we get some real meaning and, and there is primary food. Um, they wouldn't be able to put work and finances at the top of the priority list. They'd need to be able to plug into enriching right? Just like that soil, enriching their relationship with that person. Being somebody who is willing to come and say, I love you. I see you. I think you are, are an amazing gift to this world. And we don't want to lose you. You know, that's a very telling point. The part that people skip is acknowledging the fact that we're all at risk. Yes. And we are all at risk of being lost. We're all at risk of losing ourselves. We're all at risk of losing everyone that we are in contact with, that we care about. Because when it comes to suicide, we are all at risk. This is how I ended up creating the suicide risk factor indicator, that assessment tool. It's because I realized that the world was totally clueless of how close to the edge we're living as a, as a culture as, and as a world right now. We are all living much closer to that edge than we used to. 
Yeah. We don't have as much of an emotional, spiritual, mental buffer. And our teens have almost none. And so that's why this conversation about primary food, because if I'm hearing you correctly, someone consuming primary food, this is going to give them a buffer so that they are not new, they are no longer as close to the edge. Right. It it gives us a reason for staying in the journey, right? Even if we're faced with struggles, um, I think back to Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, but Human's Search for Meaning. Um, The premise of his book, as he went through, he wrote it, he actually started writing it in the concentration camps. And there was a moment in time where um, they found his manuscript and he tells about this. They found his manuscript. They stripped him of his clothes. I mean, these are horrific conditions. He's, he's starving from secondary food. He doesn't have secondary food very much. I think they got a bit, half a potato each. And he, they took him out in front of everyone, took the manuscript and threw it into a fire. And there was a moment where he said, he said, oh my gosh, my entire life has just been taken away from me. And then he pulled himself back. And he said to himself, no one can take that from me. That manuscript is in here. It came from in here. I can do it again. And no one can choose for me how I meet life. He, his entire book was about primary food. Um, who survived the concentration camps and who didn't? Who gave up, right? Who decided that they were not only walking on a precipice, but it was easier not to even walk on the precipice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that is what primary food does for us. Is there a reason to do this? It's hard. <laughs> you know, it's hard living in modern society. It was hard way back when, when we were living in more hunter and gather. I mean, then secondary food actually kind of was primary because it was harder to come by. Now we have tons of secondary food. It's everywhere. It may not all be the healthiest stuff, but it's everywhere. I mean, you think about it. Especially the less than healthier stuff. It's everywhere. Yeah, you have to kind of search in the store for the good stuff, don't you? (laughs) You walk into a store and there's aisles and aisles and aisles and aisles of food. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to to really worry about that anymore. But Mm. we do then have to decide what is the most important reason for being here? What, what means something to us? What keeps us in the, in the game, so to speak? Why grow old? That's a good question. All right. So, um, and I have a friend who's 92 who would love to have an answer to the question of why am I still here? Yeah. Um, and we don't have answers to existential questions. That's the, to these, you know, and that's the reason we label them as something so weird as existentialism. We, we do have answers to how do we find primary food in our lives? So we were talking about relationships and my brain went to, yeah, you have to fertilize a relationship just like you were fertilizing a plant in your garden. And you have to nurture it. I mean, there's research about plants. If you talk to them, they actually grow better. If you, uh, they've done research where people, there were two plants. 
side by side. One had a sign, say mean things to me. One had a sign, say that you love me and I look beautiful. And people would comply. I mean, it was fun, you know, and they have it all on video. And the plant that had the negative stuff said to it did not thrive. The one that had love given to it mm -hmm. was beautiful. I mean, when I saw that on video, I was like, oh my gosh, that's the simplest evidence of how we, we grow a healthy human being. We need to pour love into it. It's someone coined it vitamin L. <laughs> love, right? Love, care, nurture. I know, we're, we are low in our vitamin L. So I think, I think for parents, there's this balancing act that's very hard. And that is economy, working, um, having to pay the mortgage, make sure everybody gets to soccer practice and we can pay for soccer practice. And what gets lost sometimes in the mix is that really what children need isn't necessarily the soccer practice. Yeah, it's good for them, exercise and teamwork, and, but they need your time, they need your love, they need your care, they need your presence. You need to be present. And that is how we pour fertilizer <laughs> onto our relationships. We nurture them. We put time, not just quality time, Quantity does matter. I know they always, you know, maybe 10, 15 years, oh, it's just quality. No, it's also time. It's also being there, being there for breakfast, being there for dinner. And today's parents aren't always able to do that just because of economy or jobs or how things are situated. And so when I'm working with parents, I encourage them to maybe make their priority list a little bit different. It doesn't have to be totally different. I'm not saying, hey, quit the job. I'm saying, quit at your quitting time. Don't bring it home. Don't let it spill over to the time that you have with your kids. Don't let TV be your central focus. Play games, take a walk, um, sit on, on your kid's bed and just ask them how their day was. Spend some time with them. That's an interesting thing because we did get um, sold this idea of quality versus quantity. Yeah. And yet somewhere I saw something that said, you know, friendship used to mean someone you spend hours with. Mm. Yeah. In this day and age, we've got, you know, we went from instant orange juice to instant relationships in a generation. You know, we, we went from speed racer to speed dating. Right, I know. <laughs> Sorry to look at my face. Yeah, I'm like, all right. <laughs> yeah, 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 I could tell. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the power of this conversation about primary food is helping us to understand that not everything that we've been told is true when it comes to what it takes to be healthy what it takes to be connected, what it takes to be present, what it takes to stay. Right. And it's true at any age. You know, the Teen Suicide Prevention Society focuses on pure prevention of teen suicide because teens are a special breed for two reasons. They have no concept of a pause button usually because they're 
prefrontal cortex isn't totally built out. And when the team takes their own life, we're losing, you know, potentially 70 years, right. 70 years of potential. So those two are, and because that's the area I have the credibility in. I have the most bizarre job in the world. You know, Dr. Margaret, this is the most bizarre, bizarre thing. My main qualification for doing what I'm doing is that my daughter was suicidal. The one thing that I thought would damage my reputation, would hold me back in my career, would be the secret that I would take to the grave with me and never ever share, yeah. has become my whole um, authority right. in this space where I can stand up and say the focus is backwards from my perspective. Focusing on teaching parents to look for signs is the opposite of helpful because their reticular activating system, their truth bias, as Malcolm Gladwell calls it, will prevent them from seeing any signs even if they're there. Yeah. You know, parents, stop looking for signs. You are genetically encoded to miss them. Yeah. yeah. There you go. <laughs> that's my that's my my thing. That is. And and it's it's a good thing, right? Because we we need to to really talk honestly about how many people suffer from suicidal thoughts. Mm -hmm. The reality is I um I read somewhere some I, I read too much so sometimes I forget where I got it but I think this was in psychology today one of their articles and they were talking about depression mm -hmm. and anxiety and how um, often those things are very common more common than we think and uh, they estimate that 84% of all human beings mm -hmm. have at least one major episode of depression. And if you know the, the trajectory, if you have one, you actually are at a higher risk for having two or three or four or five. Well, yeah, it's the same with suicide. If you have one attempt, you're at a higher risk of having another attempt. Exactly. Yeah. So having suicidal thoughts is not uncommon among human beings. Oh, yeah. Freud said suicidal thoughts are common. Um, yeah. Actually, it's part of our naturally occurring worst case scenario decision-making mechanism. It's part of the negative bias, the natural negative bias of our brain that kept the caveman, our common ancestor, my favorite guy, Og, kept my second favorite guy. Um, well, we might be related, actually. Yeah. Then. <laughs> I have named that in my history, too. <laughs> we, we all, in, in my worldview, we all have a common ancestor named Og. And his physiology that we all carry, our fight or flight response is what kept him alive. Our natural negative bias is what allowed him to say, purple plant. Uh, what do I know about a purple plant? Purple plant makes me sick. Me no eat purple plant. I mean, it's not grammatically correct, but it makes people laugh when I tell these stories. Yeah. The, the truth is that none of these things are designed to harm us. Depression is human hibernation. It's how Og survived winter. He hunkered down and he didn't move very much and he didn't need very much secondary food. Right. Yeah. 
these are normal occurring things. We just lost the instruction manual somewhere along the way. And we started labeling them as bad, labeling them as something wrong. Yeah. And now we are in a hot mess because of the labels. As soon as somebody starts to say, I'm thinking maybe I should check out of this life. I can't do this anymore. I don't want to live anymore. Any of these naturally occurring thoughts, if they become like, maybe I should talk to somebody. In our culture, that thought is usually followed with this whole laundry list of, I don't want anybody to know. What if my boss finds out? I don't want my family to worry about me. And in many states where people with licensures have a requirement to report, yeah. what if I get put it, I get, I get deemed at risk, which is, it means that, you know, I get the stories. I mean, people call me with these and we have a, this glitch here in the mental health world, in my opinion, where they've taken discernment out of the hands of the medical professionals and made it a law. Mm. And the law is harming more people than it's helping, in my opinion. And according to the director of the Suicide Institute, um, he's, on a, he's on a mission to change the law because... Well, and I also think that, okay, so I, when I was younger, I was a teen, actually... Really? Yeah, there was a time, you know, I think it was around the time of Ugg, <laughs> or whatever his name is. Um, actually, even way before that, I, I, as what I can remember is probably seven, I remember being depressed. What does depression feel like into a seven-year-old? Mm, um, like nothing is, is okay. Like like you walk around and don't care. It, it actually feels the same as when you're older. Um, and I remember somewhere, and I, it probably actually started seven or eight. I lost a friend at eight. She um, was skating with her friend, her sister actually on the river. And you know, rivers don't really close over all the way. They're not like lakes. And so she fell in. Her sister tried to get her, but she drowned. And from that moment on, I was different. I didn't want to be around other people. I didn't want to make friends. Um, it really wasn't until I was in my 30s that I connected the link to why do I, why do these people like me? And I, I can't feel like they're my friend. What is wrong with me? And I, I made the connection. I was like, oh my gosh, I've been living by an eight-year-old's decision for a long time. But um, I was suicidal for quite some time, all through 14, 15, 16, 17. Uh, finally at 18, I went to see a counselor. Um, it took me some years to kind of get back on my feet. And I think it changes how you approach it if you're a therapist, if you're in, in the clinical world. Um, there were a lot of times I had plans and I, I would have loved to act on them. Somehow I didn't. And I didn't actually have anybody around saying, hey, hang on, you can do it. Um, so I talk with people, especially my teens, but I talk with all, all of my clients really honestly about 
suicide. It's always on the table. It's always a conversation. Um, you know, oh, wow. you know, I think you just hit upon something and, and you know, that's the whole premise we have is have the talk before you think they need it. Yeah. What I just realized is from a clinician point of view, if the clinician brings it up, then they don't have to worry about any of the reporting rules. Yeah. So, you, you know, have it as a conversation, have it as a, you know, what would you like to do if it gets to a point where you feel like you are going to act on this? What, how would we work this out? How can I help you best? Who's on our support team, et cetera, et cetera. You start building a network of support right from the get-go. It really starts with not shaming somebody for having the thought, not making the thinking wrong. And you know, one of the things that I share with people, because I, I realized this after I did some thinking on how did I make it through that period of time when I was a teenager and very, very suicidal. Um, and what, what was that, how was that functioning for me? And I realized that su my suicidal thoughts were almost like a comfort. They were, okay, if I can't handle it, this is what I get to do, all right? I'll give myself permission, but I'm gonna wait until I can't handle it. And there's this place where you go, can I handle it? Can I not handle it? I don't know. It's, but if you go through the cry, distress, sometimes there's a lightning because that's the release of all that pent up stuff. And you feel, oh, maybe I can make it. And that's what I experience with a lot of people is that they want to make it, they just don't know how to find their primary food. They don't know how to connect to it. And so we work a lot on that. Like, um, Let's talk a little more about primary food because we've only talked about what it looks like in a relationship. Right. In a relationship. So, what are other kinds of primary food? So I think one of the big things is who are you as a human being? What does it mean to be a human being? what is the human spirit, right? So we talk about spirituality and most everybody goes, eh, that's religion. And no, it's not. It, has, it can have some piece to do with religion. Sometimes it doesn't have anything to do with religion, just depending on the situation. <laughs> the converse of that statement is true because sometimes religion have things to do with spirituality and sometimes religion do not appear to have anything to do with spirituality. Exactly. So, so, okay, so there's, there's, there's this messy relationship. Yeah, the human spirit. Okay. I mean, just, we are amazing. Look at what we've gone through over all of these hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years. And, and we have had people that have said, this is why it's worth it. This is where I'm, I'm, I'm getting my energy from. There's something about us that, that is forward moving, mm -hmm. grabbing onto something to hold on to. We have our heads up to the sky all the time. We're going to the moon and we're going to have a, a little, you know, place for us to hang out, I guess. <laughs> and we're already moving towards Mars. Well, this is the human spirit. We, we, um, we make it. And there's a reason we make it. There's something that pulls at us. We, we are ever moving and growing and, and pulling on something. Help me to come and keep growing. There's a growth impulse within us. 
And, and I think that's, for me, that encompasses spirituality. It can be in everything. It, spirituality can be in cooking your secondary food if you want it to be. Right? This cooking can be a love and spiritual experience, a creative endeavor. It's, uh, it can be in anything. Writing a book, uh, passing a test, uh, getting your driver's license, you know, seeing the sun in the morning, watching hummingbirds. That's one of my favorites, by the way. I love them. <laughs> we commune out there. <laughs> So there's an experience of spirituality and, and how it is a primary food, keeping us above this plane of, of simple existence and, and subsistence. Where does someone look? Inside themselves. And yeah. it sounds- I, I get really pissy with this, all right? Because I'm like, yeah, all right. So look inside myself. Um, you know, my eyeballs don't roll that direction. So I could use a little bit more of a practical, uh, tangible application. Sure. <laughs> so many times I start with the conversation of when you weren't feeling this way, what mattered to you? Okay. So this, this, I'm going to back you up a step because we're in the realm of intervention here. Somebody's not feeling right. I want to back it up into the world of pure prevention for a minute. Cool. So there's nothing going on, but I've heard this conversation. You know, Jackie's interviewed Dr. Margaret. She's talking about something called primary food. She's saying, I need more of it to have the life I want to have, you know, to have a better experience. My life is good. It could be better. Mm -hmm. Everybody's life could be better. That's the human nature that we have. So like you, you called it the growth impulse. And I love that. So I've got, a, I've got an impulse to grow. Dr. Margaret says, I need more primary food in order to grow. Great analogy. It's all fitting together, nice and neat little package. But where do I, I, I haven't found the primary food grocery store yet. Well, there isn't one. <laughs> At least up until now. I, I mean, maybe they have that in the works, but we don't have that just yet. Um, we have to start with awareness of how we feel as we go through life. There, there are clear messages that come through in how we feel. And when I started in um, psychology back in the 90s, um, which is an entire generation ago, uh, <laughs> it was all cognitive behavioral, right? What I think can change my world. Um, behaviors need to be changed. Behaviorism was, and I didn't fit because I kept saying, you're missing the mark. It's, this is not, those are important, right? Changing our behavior is important. Changing how we think is important. But ultimately what really makes a difference is emotion. Mm -hmm. Emotion, because thought and emotion go together. They're, they're connected so tightly in our brain. I know they say thought comes first, but really the science says we don't know. It seems like maybe they come together pretty quickly at the same time. So emotion was ignored. Yeah. Right? Okay. So if you go through your day, there's emotions. And they, I say emotions are like an antenna. We're feeling around what, does, what, does, what is information out here and what does it mean to me? And so if we 
come up to a purple plant <laughs> and we are related to Og, we might have an emotional reaction to that that is very, very faint because that's very, very far back. Mm -hmm. But we might still have a like, ugh, feeling. Ugh, I don't like that. Early warning systems. Yeah. Or we might find something that we're, Oh God, I love when I get to like cook breakfast in the morning and I hear it sizzling and the smell of the coffee. I mean, do you, that feeling of where we just kind of come alive and we haven't done anything different than feel. That is what we, we, we need to get a, a beagle nose and follow it. <laughs> follow the trail that will pull us towards the things that make us feel alive. And it's going to be unique for each one of us. All right. So I can understand why having a um, primary food grocery store can be a bit problematic because there are billions and billions of people and each billion person would have a, their own unique primary food preference. Right. Right. All right. So now I'm getting it. So the primary food trail <laughs> is the trail that we follow when we are in touch with our emotions that pull us and using them to follow as opposed to the emotions that push us. Yes, so some emotions are very clear. There are certain things, you, that's exactly what comes up inside of me. Like it's, a, oh, you wanna go do this? Mm -mm. Nope, mm -mm. no, thanks, not, not, my, not my thing, not even interested. It's not even, and it's a nice thing, you know, like I love, people love it, uh -uh. not even something I care about. But then there might be something that other people aren't interested in. And I'm like, oh, this is so amazing. And I go, each other. Yeah. You know, because uh, I'm, I'm, I love being up high. Yeah. I, I like being up high. I like being on. You know, <laughs> yeah. So, and, and my guy needs his feet on the ground, he can tolerate flying. But it's got to be a big airplane and it has to be no turbulence. And yeah, but and when it comes to bridges, yeah, I took up climbing trees, you know, the obstacle courses up in trees. You know, it's how I got over my fear of heights. And you know, so I'm up in the trees, I'm up doing these things up high, and he's like, Yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> Come on down here. <laughs> he, he, he was in the van chasing the hot air balloons. Mm. Yeah, he, he, yeah, I mean, it's just, we, we are that far apart in what our primary food is in this particular scenario. And I love the fact that you brought this up, that it is that unique and that it doesn't mean you don't have a good relationship with somebody whose primary food is different than yours. Right, right. So we can appreciate each other's uniqueness. How do we get past the... tendency to judge other people's primary foods as wrong? Well, that's a, that's a hard human trait <laughs> to kind of come over because we are, our, our brain is, is based on categorizing things. Categorizing, yeah. yeah. We've got lots of categorizing functions in how we look at the world. Um, I think it, it has to do with 
opening yourself to other people. So uh, I obviously am a little bit of a nerd. Um, you, you don't go through that many years of school without having a nerd trait, you know, <laughs> genetically nerdy. <laughs> um, and I love learning and I love, I love the idea of, of putting yourself in a, a training program. I mean, I'm into that. And my, my beautiful daughter doesn't want to go to college. And so at, at first I was like, huh, what's that? And then I was like, it's not yours, Margaret. It's hers. Let it be. Mm -hmm. Let's see, what do you want to do then? Explore with them and appreciate that um, your answer to what was primary for you is not going to be even someone as close as your daughters or your sons. It's just not going to be the same thing. Um, instead, she sees herself traveling across the world in a renovated bus. I'm like, okay, you know, um, I have this little nest egg set aside for you. Um, once you finish high school and you, you are ready to work on this, that money was for college. I guess we'll invest it in a bus and renovate it, right? It's embracing other people's uniqueness. You know, that ability to come out of the linear thought that, you know, our culture says that you go through high school, you get an education, you get a job. Right. The education part is open to interpretation. Exactly. It usually means, though, something that you can easily linearly connect to income potential. Right. And what you're talking about is her designing her own education program that may or may not directly connect right now. Right. No. And, you know, I, in all honesty, I didn't go straight from high school to college either. Oh, uh, a little bit of a renegade, are you? I had to, I had to kind of think back and go, oh, I guess I kind of did that in my own way too. I didn't go across the whole globe in a, in a renovated bus, but I, I moved from the Midwest to the East Coast. I got a job as a nanny to support myself out there and I explored the East Coast. Oh, well, there you go. And a couple of years out there. And then I decided, huh, maybe it's time to go to school. And so I came back to the Midwest. I um, got a place next to my sister and I went to college. Um, there's a lot in this world that college can't teach you. There's a lot in this world to learn and that we can't be taught, period, I think. I think that's a really interesting direction to head in. All right, so primary food. Yes. Whatever feeds your human spirit, period. Growing, keeps you feeling what? like this is worth doing. Yeah. All right, whatever fuels your impulse, your growth impulse. I do like that phrase, thank you. All right, so whatever fuels the growth impulse that you have, and if you are lacking a growth impulse, reach out and talk to someone. Yeah. Because you are innately endowed with this. And if you've lost touch with it, we could call, we're going to call this a sign. 
Yeah. When people talk about looking for signs and suicidal ideation in other people, I'm like, let's start on this side of the fence here. You know, if you have lost a sense of growth impulse, mm -hmm. consider that a sign and reach out. Yeah. What I love about doing the interviews and doing this season with you is that this will be in perpetuity and people can watch these over and over again. And they, there's, you know, we've got over a hundred episodes now. This is our sixth season. And so we know that we've got a resource for people. Mm -hmm. And the time to tap it is before you think you need it. Right. So I would say for all people, teens as well, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes they have to find the right person to talk to. So, I mean, if you talk to someone who's already not living by primary food, they have malnutrition in that area, you're not going to get a, a direction to how to connect to it. Mm -hmm. But our, our, um, if you feel like things are stagnating, Mm -hmm. that that is your emotional uh, field giving you information about this is just dry it's it's empty um there i just the other day we were i was working with um a family and one of the members in the family started crying and saying i just i i can't do this college thing anymore and the other family members couldn't hear that. <laughs> they were like, oh, but you've gone so far. You're almost, and, and I said, you just don't want to do this anymore, do you? And everybody else got quiet and they started sobbing. They just wanted somebody who understood, I don't want to do this. It's not mine anymore. I don't want to do it. Maybe it was never mine, but the family system couldn't hear because there's money invested in it and time and you're almost there, just go farther. And that may be what that person eventually decides to do. I don't know, that's not up to me, but in that moment, they just needed somebody to say, you just don't wanna do this anymore and make it okay to make another choice. I'm gonna put a thought out about primary food and you can tell me what you think. Is being heard primary food yes because it's relational got it okay yeah, yeah. it's relational so, all right well speaking about relational i want to make sure people understand this uh universal pathways to quantum healing yes. yeah i know it's an ebook and it's about understanding this what is so good about this what will somebody experience when they take a look at this book I think they'll, so it actually looks at how do we change and reprogram the things that we've been living by that are not working for us, that may be leading to anxiety and depression. How do we do that? Um, I, I actually put some examples of different authors that they can look at, different people in the field. Um, they, that, and then there's also the message that we're way more than what we, we have been told, right? All right, so there we go. Just this. And we're so into growing and that impulse is there inside of all of us. We just need to tap into it and give it some life. All right, so your guide to your own growth impulse. There we uh, go. Yeah. 
Maybe yeah. I should have named it that. <laughs> yeah, it's a good subtitle. Yeah. Okay. Your guide to your own growth impulse. Yeah. So, so that's really cool. All right. So the power of this conversation, this understanding that there is something beyond the food that we put in our mouths that actually allows life to have meaning, mm -hmm. not just to exist, but to have meaning. I'm going to put you on the spot for just a minute because I have a friend who's 92. You know, she, her world is getting smaller and smaller. I mean, it got really small for a while till we realized the isolation she was dealing with. And so, you know, I spend, and my, my guy, you know, we sort of tag team and we'll go over and have dinner or she'll come over to our house. And, but her world is getting smaller. Primary food for her. In, in a time when she's spending every day wondering why she's here. Yeah, this, this sense of this, is this a book that would help her understand how at 92, primary food is still available? Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think I would just like to really quickly, you know, there's been so much research on the blue zones and long, long, you know, longevity. Thank you. I couldn't say it. I want to say longitudinal, but that's not the right one. Um, and really what they're looking at isn't just the foods that people are eating. It is the connection to other people and a, and a, a next generation. Mm -hmm. Feeding to the next generation, giving something as a, as a elder, as a wise person in your tribe and your community. Mm -hmm. And that is probably what would be primary food for her. Um, they have a lot of uh, programs that have shown that connecting people who are in their 80s and 90s, even, you know, 100 with the younger generation um, brings them to life. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Relationship. Oh, I get it. it is, okay, so now we have the bottom line. What is primary food? It is, what did I say now? You, you quote it for me because you did. <laughs> it's, it's what keeps us connected to wanting to live. To, it gives life meaning and it's all unique for us. It's, it's mine isn't yours, isn't somebody down the streets, um, but we do need it. And if we don't have it and we're malnourished in primary food, then suicide can look like an option. And the best option at the time. So thank you very much for bringing us into the world of primary food, Dr. Margaret. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I, I enjoy it. And you know what, Jackie? Um, I am so glad that you're doing this work. Um, we need to put our, our muscle into prevention and not be chasing our tails. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> There we go. You know where to put your muscle. That's right. <laughs> and it's not in your mouth. No. <laughs> Primary food. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Oh.